Heavenly Father, we do come before you this morning and recognize that we are sinners in your sight, and we do not deserve to hear your voice, the voice of the holy God, who is sinless, who is holy, holy, holy. Lord, we pray that we may come before your word humbly this morning, and that we may indeed hear your voice and hear it clearly because your Holy Spirit works upon our hearts. We thank you that we can approach you with great boldness because even though we are sinners, we have been washed through the blood of Jesus Christ. And so we can hear your voice. So, Lord, we pray that you may change us and transform us this morning as a result of hearing your word preached and studying your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, have you ever been thought to be strange? Has anyone ever thought you were a strange kind of person? Or that particular things about you make you strange to that person? I've been thought to be strange in many ways um, at different points in my life. And one thing in particular that people often think is strange about me is the fact that I have a particular type of music that I really enjoy that doesn't seem to be the type of music that people who would be in my profession uh, would be interested in. And I must admit that, yes, I do like techno. I do not like dance music. I do like a particular hardcore uh, type of dance music, and I listen to it fairly regularly, particularly when I'm doing administration tasks in the office. I will crank that up, uh, hopefully not too loud that the next door neighbours hear, uh, but I do like uh, that type of dance music, and people, when they find that out, generally consider me to be strange that it doesn't seem to fit uh, with what they know about me uh, in the rest of my life. Have you ever been considered to be strange? Do people consider you to be a strange type of person based on things that they know about you? Well, this morning we're going to look at what makes someone strange and what particularly makes Christians strange. What makes them to be considered strange in other people's eyes? Because it is a fact that we come across in uh, just life, if you are a Christian, but also in the scriptures. The scriptures do acknowledge that people think Christians are strange, that people who are not Christians do consider Christians to be strange. And that brings me to my first main point this morning of why people consider us to be strange. And so my first main point this morning is people consider you strange for shunning sin. People consider Christians strange for shunning sin. If you want to follow my main points along this morning, they're on the back of the church bulletin there. And the first one is that people consider us strange for shunning sin. And that's in the passage that we just read from 1 Peter chapter 4, which we've been working through in the last couple of weeks. 1 Peter chapter 4 in verse 4. Verse 4, which is found on page 1203 of the Black Church Bibles. 1 Peter Chapter 4, verse 4 says, They, that's uh, referring to pagans, to non-Christians, think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation, the same flood of sin, and they heap abuse on you. People who are outside the church and they are pagans, we see that back in verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 4, for you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, which is living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry, which we looked at last week, they then think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into that same flood of dissipation, all those sins that are listed there that we looked at last week, that are so characteristic of people who are outside of Christ, people who are not Christians. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into that same flood of dissipation. 
what, is it, what does he mean by strange? What does Peter mean by that word strange? Well, it can mean astonishing, surprising. But it also means the word strange in the Greek there is the word that you use for people who are outside of your family circle, who you don't know, or strangers, foreigners, aliens, people who stand out because you're just not used to seeing them around. And that is what non-Christians think Christians are. They think they are strange. Why? Because they avoid sin. They avoid these sins that are here, these rebellious acts against God. Now that seems a bit strange in itself. Why would non-Christians think that it is strange that people do what is righteous? Instead of sinning, they do good things. Instead of doing evil, they do righteous acts. Surely non-Christians would look at Christians and say, I wish I was like that. I like that. That, that people are behaving in that way, that Christians behave that way. Rather than thinking that is strange, they should look at it and say, that is a really good thing. But why would then non-Christians say, that's just a strange thing to do? And it's a type of persecution that they're inflicting on Christians. They're saying, you're odd, you stand out, you're so different. Why is it that non-Christians think Christians are strange? Well, we actually get a couple of clues in this text as to why they think non-Christians uh, are strange. And the first reason is because Christians are not eager to sin, whereas non-Christians are eager to sin. And you see that in verse 4. It says, which we're only concentrating on one verse today, verse 4, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. You do not plunge into sin. And when you consider that, non-Christians and the way that they live, they're not forced into sin. It's not like people are forced to be debauched, to lust, to be drunk, to engage in orgies and carouse and detestable idolatry. They're not even walking into such sin. They rush into sin. They plunge is the NIV translation here, but the other way of uh, translating it, which the King James has, is run. And another translation, English translation, has rush. And that's right. It's a, a verb of running. And that's what non-Christians do with sin. And so if a Christian then stops and says, no, I'm not going to engage in sinful behaviour, that's a very odd thing to do. If you see everybody running in a crowd and then one person is stopped, that person stands out quite clearly. And that's what happens when Christians live righteously in a world where the majority of people are sinners, are people who are not following Christ. And so they stand out because they're not plunging into that same flood of dissipation. It seems strange when these people don't run into sin, they don't even walk into sin, they stop and go in the opposite direction. They start to do what is right. And the other reason, so first reason why they think we're strange is because we're not eager to sin. The other reason is you are strange because sin is just so common. Sin is just so common. How do I see that in verse 4? Well, we read verse 4. It says, they think, that's non-Christians, it's strange that you, Christians, do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. Same flood of dissipation. The way it's describing sin there is that it's flooding around people. 
The word flood uh, can mean an outpouring or a wide stream flooding along. It also can be used for overflowing lava from a volcano in some of the Greek writings. Uh, and so it, it has this sense of just overwhelming amounts of sin are happening in the culture. And so when a Christian decides not to sin, it's very odd because everything is flooding around that person, encouraging them to sin, and yet they're standing out and saying, no, I'm not going to participate in lust and drunkenness and orgies and carousing and detestable idolatry. I'm not going to go with the flow, that flood that is coming around. And you see this not just in Peter's day, it's happening in our culture as well. Particularly when we consider that most of the sins listed in verse 3 as characterising what pagans choose to do concern alcohol and sex. And sexual sin in Australian culture... Is that flooding around us? Yes, it is. There is so much sexual sin happening in our culture, and it can be in private where we don't really see it, but it's also openly in public as well. Last week I spoke a lot about the evils of these sins and how they come into our homes through television, and it is just there in mainstream television. You don't even have to see you know, late-night TV to experience some of what's going on here. And even in... You can be driving down the the road and in advertising material you see sexual sin. You see people clothed in their underwear on billboards in broad daylight for everybody to see. Something that is very private, something that is debauched. When we looked at that word debauchery last week, we saw that it meant immodest. And that is immodest. And people who uh, often come to realise this uh, can be even uh, models as they get converted, they realise that their life was characterised by sin. There's actually been just, uh, I think it was earlier this year, a Victoria's Secret model uh, was converted and she had to give up her career. She said, no, my body is for my husband and not for the world to see. She realised that she used to live a debauched lifestyle, but now she is not. But we see this kind of thing in our culture all the time and we start to think it is normal because it's flooding around us. But the Christian stops and considers and says, no, this is not right. I'm not going to embrace these things around me. And what does that mean then? You're strange. You stand out. Because everybody else thinks it's quite normal for these things and they're flooding around us in our culture. Sin has become so common that it's considered to be normal. When in fact it is abnormal. It is not the way God intended us to be. And so instead of sin being considered abnormal, it's considered normal and the Christians are the strange ones for not encouraging such sin. It just shows how much sin has affected us and how little uh, we take sin seriously. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning... Do you understand how serious sin is? It floods around you. You're running headlong with it so that you consider right behaviour, righteous behaviour, good behaviour to actually be unusual, to be strange. We get blinded in our minds about how serious sin is. And if you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, I want you to encourage you to understand how serious sin actually is. Yes, It is all around you. Yes, there are many other people running along sinning, but that doesn't make it right. 
It is still serious in God's eyes, and God punishes sinners no matter how many people are running in it, no matter how much is flooding around them. He will punish you for your sin. And if you are a non-Christian and you're here this morning, I want to encourage you to repent of your sin and trust that Jesus Christ died for you because that is the only way of salvation. That is the only way to have eternal life is through trusting that Jesus' blood floods over the flood of sin in your life and washes you clean. So if you are a Christian here this morning, it shouldn't really be that remarkable then that you stand out when we consider how eagerly non-Christians are going to sin and how much it floods in our culture. But it still hurts when we're considered to be strange. No one likes to be the odd kid out at school. No one likes to be someone who is noticeable standing out. I mean, yes, there are celebrities and they seem to love the attention that they get for standing out from everybody else. And some people we like to have that, um, we want to be famous But generally speaking, we like to fly under the radar. We don't want to be the odd person, particularly if it's not that you're standing out for good things, you're not getting praise, you're standing out uh, because you are seen to be odd. And so it's a form of suffering that we experience as Christians, that we are considered strange. And Peter has been talking about suffering, and that's what's led to this verse in verse 4. He talked previously about suffering, and just being considered strange is a form of suffering. That's what uh, he was talking about in verse verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. If you are done with sin and you start to live righteously, then you're going to suffer for it, Peter says. And what's one of the ways you suffer? People are going to think you're odd. People are going to think you're strange. And that hurts. You don't want to be the strange person. You want to go with the flow. You want to keep your head under the radar. But is that the only type of suffering that we experience for shunning sin? Well, that brings me to my second main point this morning. People verbally abuse you for shunning sin. People verbally abuse you for shunning sin. And we see that in verse 4 as well. What do we read in verse 4? They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. They heap abuse on you. Christians sadly often experience verbal abuse for not sinning, for living righteous lives. The word for verbal abuse there, heap verbal abuse on you, is actually the word um, for blaspheming in the Greek. And so it says they blaspheme you. Now we in English seem to have taken the word blaspheme and we only apply it to God. When you blaspheme, you blaspheme God, which means you uh, speak evil of God. It means you call God names, you spread lies about God, you curse God. But people can also blaspheme one another. They can do those very same things that they do to God to other humans. And that's what humans will do to uh, to non-Christians will do to Christians. They can blaspheme you. They can speak evil of you. They can call you names. They can spread lies about you. They can curse you with their mouth. They verbally abuse you. The um, NIV probably understands that that word blaspheme has that uh, connotation about being about God. And so they translate it, heap abuse on you. But why would people heap abuse on you? Why would they 
want to not just consider you strange, but actually say nasty things about you because you don't sin? Well, it's usually because they realise that if you don't sin like they do, you're condemning their behaviour. They have consciences. Non-Christians have them. And those consciences scream out at times about the sin that they're engaging in, about these kinds of sins that were listed in verse 3. And when someone comes along that doesn't engage in those sins, their conscience gets pricked. Consciences can also be deadened, can be hardened. But when someone is there standing righteously before you, you feel the condemnation pouring over you. Just like when we consider someone like Christ as Christians, we feel the condemnation because we realise how holy he is and how sinful we really are. There's a similarity that happens when a Christian is standing there righteously against the flow and the non-Christians start to feel a bit of condemnation. They feel their conscience is pricked. And so what do they do? Instead of confessing their sin and starting to live righteously, they verbally abuse the person because it's much easier to try and drag that person down to make your conscience not feel so bad, just like people try to drag down Jesus so they don't feel like they're being condemned by him. And so people heap abuse on you when you don't participate in sin. And this happened in the early church. We see early Christians being verbally abused again and again. We still have records of things like that today. We have it in the New Testament and we have it in other Christian writings. Early Christians were accused of being immoral in the way that they lived, their behavior. They would talk about their meetings and they'd say, oh, you know what the, the early, those Christians have? They have love feasts. And so they would actually imply that there were orgies going on at Christian churches. They would say, oh, yes, and they commit incest because they love their brother and sister at those meetings. And so it's incestuous relationships that they're having at those meetings. They would also be accused of being politically disloyal. Why was that? Because if you were a good citizen, you actually were required to offer a sacrifice to the emperor. He was, or dead emperors, some of the living emperors also claimed to be God, but dead emperors were often made gods as well. And so to be a good Roman citizen, you had to offer a sacrifice. And if you didn't offer that sacrifice, what were you being? Not a very good citizen. You weren't submitting the knee to your emperor. And so they were accused of being politically disloyal. They were also accused of being unsociable. Why? Because they wouldn't go to things like the games that were put on the Roman games. What happened at Roman games? terrible acts of torture and violence where people were uh, tortured in horrible ways where gladiators were made to kill one another just for sport such violence is incompatible with Christianity and so Christians didn't go and so what does that mean? unsociable people so people have verbally abused Christians in the early church and they still do today as well Sometimes abuse comes as sort of minor remarks. People don't just think you're odd, they actually say. That's a bit strange. You really do that? You really don't, uh, and if we take the example that I used last week, you don't watch that show because you think that there's something wrong with it? I knew that last week, talking a lot about television and how it brings a lot of these things into our lives would be particularly controversial in some ways because we seem to have this attitude that 
television is an essential part of life, and if we aren't watching all the in-shows, then somehow we are not living properly. And so it can start to just, people just think you're odd because you don't watch those shows, and when they ask why, you say, well, I don't, I haven't watched that movie because I don't watch things with uh, sex scenes in that way in, in them, and, and such lust that's happening in that movie. And people just think you're odd. So it can be minor remarks that come. But sometimes it can come much more harshly. People can verbally abuse you in a very strong sense. We can be accused of being politically disloyal, just like the early Christians were accused of being politically disloyal. We can as well. How often do people get told, Christians get told, you mix religion with politics and you shouldn't be doing that. You can't force your religious views on other people. You can't take your worldview and then apply it in politics. You're meant to leave your religion at the door when you go into that voting booth as though non-Christians never apply their worldview in the way that they choose politicians. Yet we get accused of being politically disloyal. We get accused of being unnatural. I even experienced this back in high school um, when I, I remember sitting in the library with some other teenage boys and they said, Christianity, Joel, just denies everything that is natural. And they were talking particularly about sex. And... It's amazing how it's come to understand that immoral sexual acts are natural behaviours when really they're unnatural. Sex is meant to be in marriage and exclusively in marriage. But people have taken that natural way of sex and turned unnatural sex into natural sex. And so we get accused of being abnormal and unnatural because of the way that we behave when it comes to sexual behaviours. We also get accused of being unloving towards others. In what way? Well, I'll just give two examples from uh, current, uh, current cultural climate. One way is in relation to the elderly. On the matter of euthanasia, people come along and say, you're being unloving. People want dignity in death. You're being unkind. You're not letting them die the death they want to do they want to have. And so we get accused for wanting to look after the elderly and preserve life and give them dignity in the life that they have and say you're still loved and appreciated in this life. We don't want you to take your own life and we don't want somebody else to take your life. We think life is valuable. We think your life is valuable even in the midst of suffering. But instead, we get called unloving. And even other people who are not necessarily Christian but are against euthanasia are accused of this as well. I can show you an example just this week from the Sydney Morning Herald. It says in the Sydney Morning Herald, the views on euthanasia held by the Prime Minister, Julia Gillard, and the New South Wales Premier, Barry O'Farrell, are supremely arrogant, because they're against it, says a leading Sydney primary care physician. Supremely arrogant for wanting to protect the elderly, says this leading Sydney primary care position. Yes, he's leading, maybe, leading people to destruction, um, this Sydney primary care physician. That's just an example from this week, and the Sydney Morning Herald's putting it out there because often they will, the editors are in agreement with some of these statements that are put out there. They're reporting on the news that they agree that people are supremely arrogant, that Christians are supremely arrogant for being against euthanasia. The other way that we're often accused of being unloving is towards women. 
and particularly when it comes to the abortion issue, say, how can you be so unloving to a woman in that you won't permit her to abort the child within her? When we're, whereas we really do care about the woman, woman, we care so much about her that we won't let her damage her own body and the person that is in her. We're actually loving to the child within her as well. And people just seem to have this blind eye to the damage that abortion does to women. This, this um, overwhelming grief that they often have and the depression that follows from what they've done. And we care about that woman and we won't let her do that to herself. But of course we're accused of being unloving and unkind to women. We're also accused of being judgmental, discriminating, intolerant, and often this comes up when it comes to homosexual activity and homosexual marriage. Uh, we're accused of being discriminating as though people uh, don't discriminate every day um, and don't judge every day as well. We're accused of being judgmental. And, uh, and i just give one example of someone who knows this very well is Fred Nile, the leader of the Christian Democrats. He knows what it's like to be abused for his position on homosexual behaviour. I actually um, read his biography a couple of years ago and in it he writes about how he's been treated by people and particularly homosexual activists. He writes, at the 1988 Mardi Gras, the festival in, in Sydney here to celebrate uh, homosexuals, they built a three-metre-high paper mache bust of my head taken from an ugly cartoon caricature. This head was carried on a huge plate surrounded by fruit pieces in a send-up of the head of John the Baptist. So they were pretending he was John the Baptist. And then this was repeated in a number of later parades, so they did it year after year. However, in 1996, new depths of depravity and obscenity were reached when I was portrayed as a wild, naked animal in a cage on top of a huge float surrounded by kissing same-sex persons. The float carried a big sign, Cage Fred Nile. The person depicting me wore a mask on my face and I... Uh, Fred has it in his book, but it's something so perverse I won't repeat it here in the sermon, depicting about his body. And the commercial TV station censored the float, he says, but ABC TV showed it in its fullness on its Mardi Gras special and the station's commentators actually drew attention to it as it approached. Everybody else censored it as something too vile, something too disgusting, too... Um, humiliating to a Christian for his position on homosexual behaviour, but they showed it in full and actually pointed it out verbally so that people would note what was being done to Christians at that parade. Being a Christian and living righteously will certainly bring you abuse, verbal abuse. So what are you to do when you're considered strange for being a Christian, for not plunging into sin with others? Well, that brings me to my third main point. You need to remember something. Jesus was considered strange and verbally abused too. People thought Jesus was strange and they heaped abuse on him. When Jesus didn't join in with the Pharisees and their teaching, which was sinful teaching leading people to hell, he was abused, they slandered him. They made accusations against him that were false that eventually led to his trial and death. But how does remembering Jesus was abused help you? Well, we've got to remember that we're meant to follow Jesus' example and we've got to 
arm ourselves with an attitude of humility that we're prepared to suffer for doing righteous acts. And I spoke about this a couple of weeks ago when we looked at verse 1. Because this verse 1 is talking about the suffering that then was described in much more detail in verse 4. Verse 1 says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. When you experience verbal abuse, when you experience people thinking you are strange, what are you to do? You're meant to take to yourself that same attitude that Jesus did of humility, that he was willing to suffer for what is righteous because he remembered, I am done with sin. I am not a sinner. I am not someone who sins. And that is what Christians are meant to do as well. They're meant to say, I am done with sin, and so I will not let this verbal abuse encourage me to participate in sinning. I'm prepared to suffer for sin. And so we're meant to follow Jesus' example. And Jesus, actually, um, Peter gave us a, uh, a fuller description of that example back in 1 Peter chapter 2, when we, I was preaching on this earlier, we went through it in a bit more detail, but I'll get you to flip back to it. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 19. Back over the page, page 1201. Verse 19 says, For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, when they verbally abused him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. What are you to do when you're verbally abused? You're to remember that you may be verbally abused by people, but what does it say there? You're commendable before God in verse 20. God praises you. He doesn't verbally abuse you for doing the right thing. He praises you. He commends you. And you're meant to entrust yourself to his commendation, to his praise, and say, that's what I want. It is an honour, really, to be abused for righteousness because God is commending you. And later on in his biography, Fred Nile talks about the fact that he was actually honoured in some ways, that they picked John the Baptist to compare him with. John the Baptist was a righteous man. So for them to put his head on a platter and say he's like John the Baptist is uh, a bit of a positive comment. And really, that's what we should think, but not that we're compared with John the Baptist, that when we are abused for doing righteousness, that we're being compared with Christ because they did the same thing to him. And because we have Christ's name, we are Christians, Christians, People abuse us. We're in the same league with Christ. And it's actually a badge of honour that people would insult us for being Christians. So are you prepared to be considered strange and cop abuse because you are done with sin? Or are you scared that people will think you're strange and talk badly about you if you give up evil desires, if you give up some of your television habits, some of your reading habits, some of what you listen to, the music you listen to, the magazines you read? Are you scared that people will abuse you for that? Do you actually plunge with others into the same flood of dissipation because of such fear that you see everybody else is doing it and it's flooding around me that I will just embrace sin? 
Don't do it. Don't run with others. Don't give in to the flood. Cling to Christ. Know Christ's love for you. That he loved you by bearing insults himself so that you would have your sins forgiven. And show that love. Show love to Christ yourself by shunning sin. Show that you are done with sin and are prepared to suffer abuse for living righteously. Let us come before our God now in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do recognise the truth contained in your word that people in this day and age still blaspheme Christians because of the way that they live, because they do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. Lord, this is so sad that so many non-Christians would behave in this way. Lord, we pray for us this morning. Many of us in this room have copped abuse for the way that we live. We pray that we may remember that Jesus Christ is there with us, that he has experienced abuse for being one who lives righteously. And we pray that we may remember that we are commended before you, that even though we are dishonoured by men, we are praised by you, the living God. And we pray that we may continue to work at getting rid of the sin in our lives. We still are contaminated by sin. It is so easy to still embrace that flooding sin that is around us. We pray that we may show that we are indeed done with sin. We may evaluate, we may stop and think while others run around us into sin. We may carefully consider whether we need to reform other aspects of our life that are still black in your eyes. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.